loss helps us define our lives. By allowing our grief to matter, we discover our own strengths and embrace our authentic selves. Welcome to Good Grief with your host, Cheryl Jones. Get ready to be inspired to create a deeper life to make your time on Earth much more meaningful. Now, here is Cheryl Jones. Hello, I'm your host, Cheryl Jones, and I want to welcome you to Good Grief, where we talk each week about the transformations that can come from loss. Today, I'm welcoming Charles Fontenot. Chuck, as he goes by, was born in 1940 and raised in the countryside of southern Louisiana. He spent four years in the United States Marine Corps. He and his wife, Lucy, of almost 56 years, live in San Mateo, California, and have two children, David and Carrie. Their son, David, died of cancer at the age of 21 in 1986. Their daughter, Carrie, her husband, Jim, and their two sons, Ben and Matthew, live nearby. Chuck is a direct care volunteer for Mission Hospice and Home Care and also volunteers at Peninsula Hospital for their No One Dies Alone program. He started writing at the graveside of his son and continues to do so today as part of his own healing process. He self-published his first booklet of poems entitled Empty Closets in 1999. His second book is a children's book, The Gift is in the Giving, A Lesson from Mom, written for his two grandsons, Ben and Matthew, who taught him how to trust in life and love again. At the end of August 2019, he released In Search of My Soul, Just Looking for Me. Welcome, Chuck. Cheryl, I'm so glad to be here. A little nervous, to say the least, but I am (laughs) very grateful to... Hopefully that will pass as we get into talking, because, of course, you're an expert on your own life, so uh, there's nothing really (laughs) you have to... You know, be be great at. <laughs> You'll know the answers. <laughs> so, uh, I understand. <laughs> let's start. Let's start at the obvious beginning. Um, there was there was a life you had before your son died, and then a life you've had since then. Which, um, you know, one thing that interests me very much is um, long term uh, grief experience. Uh, my biggest loss was in 1995. It's quite a long time later, and you even longer. So can you start sure. just by sharing with, with listeners um, the experience of your, your son's illness and, and death that, that then kind of catapulted you into uh, your evolution? Well, it, it all started, uh, our son David... Uh, was in school in San Diego, and I'm from Louisiana, as you said earlier, and uh, we always uh, went through the summer when we were out without shirts on, so we, we were sun worshippers, uh, loving the outdoor, hunting, fishing, you know, swimming, that kind of thing, and David came home. Uh, it was in January, and uh, it was a warm day, so he had a shirt. Shirts, and when he got out of the shower, and uh, Lucy uh, saw a, a mole on his back, and she said, "What is that?" He said, "Oh, it's just it's been there for a while. Don't worry about it." She says, "No, let me see it." And it was brown and crusty, and so we went to the doctor the next day, and 
they took they looked at it and took some off and uh, called them back and they biopsied it and, and that time of the biopsy uh, waiting we were I never forget it we were waiting in the in the garage and we were immobilized with fear mm. of the possibility of the word cancer and uh, it came back as possible cancer. So they went in and took a lot more out and did another biopsy, and it was melanoma, uh, stage four. And so, so quite far that, along at that point, which is often true of melanoma, isn't it? Yes. At least then it was often true. Yes. And so what then started was the process of uh, going to U- University of California, San Francisco, uh, for treatment, and they started with the Interlocal 2 program, and at that time, it was a, uh, uh, an experimental drug, and, uh, they, they, he was accepted. He's one of the first, but he was not the first. And then they, <laughs> that was a nightmare time because he was in for like two weeks at a time and three weeks at a time, and they take his blood out, and then they would infuse it and then run it back through, and he'd get the chills. And it was just um, for a parent watching their child suffer like that and not being able to do anything to stop it. Uh, I remember Lucy and I would take turns spending the night with him on the 10th floor in the uh, ICU room, and we were in there, and they had put a shunt in that I literally cut a hole in his chest and put a shunt in so it was easier to put the medications in and out. And I'm standing, I'm standing in this, in the, in the OR room with him up there, and they're pulling this out without anesthetizing it, and he's crying, and squeezing my hat and said, "Dad, please make him stop." And and it's about an eight to ten inch shunt that they're pulling out, and and I said, "Dave, I can't." And when a parent comes to realize that there's nothing they can do to stop them or to make him better. Um, I, it, hope doesn't leave. It's, it's the, it's, for me, it was the scariest time I've ever been in my life. And I've been, as you said, in the Marine Corps. I've been shot at, and, and it, but not being able to help my son was the hardest thing that I ever had to do. And, uh, I can I can only imagine that uh, the primary feeling would be, um, of course, torture, but also helplessness. Uh, it was total which, hopelessness. Uh, which which is one of the hardest things. If you feel there's nothing you can do, it's one of the hardest things. And so uh, he was he was then was how old was he when he was diagnosed? Uh, he was twenty. So then uh, he, he didn't live a hugely long time either. So you didn't have no, much he, time uh, to... He was diagnosed in uh, 1985, January, and he died in August the 31st, uh, 1986. 
So before that, uh, I can only go by sort of the the headlines of your life, you know, uh, happily married, two children, he's just gone to college, kind of a fruits of your labor time of life. Would you say so? I would agree to that, yes, most definitely. And so then also the picture of what you thought you would be doing at that time in your life was completely uh, undone. Utterly and completely, <laughs> to say the least. You know, I've, yeah. I've sent children to college, and um, of course, I have a, have a, have a, a, a lack of denial. You know, I'm, I'm aware what can happen, but still, there's this kind of sense of completion and you know happiness that they're, they're going off into their lives, and sadness at letting go of that. You know, all of those things that suddenly got reversed, in a sense, by his illness. Yes, that is true. Uh, when he, but the, 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 the thing that was surprising was when he came home and he had already had gone through the interleukin-2 program and, and uh, uh, you got some different types of chemo and radiation because he had a big uh, intrusion under his alarm. Uh, he wanted to go back to school, and that was the hardest part, is to let him go again. Mm-hmm. And so he went back down to San Diego, and he got sick, and the doctors had all set it up for him with other doctors, and we got a call from his friends, and so I flew down. And he was in the hospital and was able to get him out of the hospital and fly him back up. And he stayed up here with us. And just the waiting time. But one thing, I, I it wasn't all horror. I mean, there were times that was uh, our friends put together, a, they called it a party, a, a gift of love. And they raised uh, $14,000 for David. So mm-hmm. he got to pay off all of his bills, his car. Uh, and he went, and, and so he took us. We all went to Hawaii for a week. And it was wonderful. And then he went, in, he, he went to New York with his girlfriend. And so it, and with all the things that, the realities, there's that uh, you hold on to every straw you can get when you have something, and that, and we ran with it. We ran with life. You know, I had much uh, longer to to adjust to what you're talking about because my wife lived a long time with her illness, um, not as short. But I know exactly what you're talking about. That um, there's a vividness isn't there, to every good thing as well. Yes. Life is just 100% vivid, isn't it? It's like what you're saying. The darks are darker and the lights are so much lighter. And, and, the, and the graciousness and the gratefulness, uh, it just it, it blows you up for the times that you know are coming. 
I agree and, to that. And I, and I have to just say, $14,000 that was raised for him was a lot more money in 1986. <laughs> you oh, know? absolutely. That's, uh, that's your friends and their friends. I mean, I people really showed up for you, huh? They did. But it, and, and it's t- like times in the hospital. Uh, he was in there for a month, and 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 when we go every, every space on the wall in a, in a private room up there, that's they had to have each of these patients in their own large private room. Uh, there wasn't a space on the wall where, where there wasn't a card. They came uh-huh. every, every day. There were cards coming, and the nurses and the doctors were just unbelievable, kind and gentle. It. Uh, it brings the the best out of everybody. Mm. Yes, you know, just this, um, just yesterday, maybe it was the day before. It's mushed together. Uh, a, a dear friend of mine died, who was part of the support community around my wife and I and our children. And uh-huh. so I've been flooded the last few days with memories of all the beautiful things that people did to help us. And yeah. those things do not lose intensity, do they? No, I mean, they don't. If I think if I think of them, they they are just so. Um, my heart is open by them still. There's a uh, I don't have the book in front of me, but there's a poem that I wrote in the book, and it was about uh, the flowers. Uh, will wither and die, but the uh, the act of kindness will live on forever. And it's exactly what you're alluding to, because they do. They never fade away. This is a, this is a big change of subject, but I want people to hear the kind of poetry, since you just mentioned your poetry. We have only a few minutes before the break, and I wonder if you would just share um, – your poem, Act One, just to give people a flavor of the kind of thing that you came to write. And then when we come back, we'll talk about how poetry began to come into it for you. All right. The, the, the poem she's asked me to, to, to read is called Act One. And I'll read it now. In Act One, there is confusion, hate, anger, and occasionally love and understanding. It seems we're always searching for something else. Symbols are upside down. Death instead of life. Hate instead of love. Anger instead of compassion. Fear instead of faith. Confusion instead of hope. Isn't it time for Act Two? That sort of captures the the painful parts of what we're talking about, doesn't it? Uh, it you does. know, the the way we it just does. get ripped, whipped, and ripped. <laughs> you know, uh, <laughs> That's so and then. <laughs> But but then there's that other side you're also describing. Um, obviously, as I mentioned in your bio, you've you, you've used um, poetry called you as a way to 
um, try to approach your grief. And um, of course, I see grief as a creative process, 100%. There's always some creation going on in it, including inventing ourselves. So let's talk more about that when we come back. Okay. And listeners, you can find links to my website and social media, the Good Grief page at Voice America. And to find Charles Fontenot, go to charlesfontenot.com, which is spelled Charles, as you would imagine, and Fontenot, F-O-N-T-E-N-O-T.com. Be back soon. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. What sets apart voiceamerica.tv from the other video content providers on the Internet? Choice and flexibility means that you can host your video content live or on demand on the main voiceamerica.tv channels through your own branded media player or your own private TV channel. We support multiple media formats, so all of your video content can be in one place. We offer a number of advertising and video packages. For more information, visit voiceamerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us surprise you. Perspectives with Dr. Badisha Patel is a program that explores emotional management for a healthier lifestyle. On each program, we discuss ideas that support emotional well-being, such as mental illness, relationships, parenting, and family connections, and much more. If you are facing challenges in your life, you can grow and learn by exploring new techniques in dealing with stress, anxiety, and relationships. Perspectives with Dr. Vadisha Patel airs live Wednesdays at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health and Wellness. Are you living a healthy and fit lifestyle? It's not just related to your physical well-being. It also means a healthier mind, confidence, improved health, stamina, and fitness. Talking with Tremaine brings it all to you. Host Tremaine Ellis, along with her husband and co-host David Ellis, will offer support, advice, guidance, and motivation to keep you in your best shape, both physically and mentally. Talking with Tremaine can be heard live every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 Pacific on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Be sure to like the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel on Facebook. You'll find great health tips from the experts. Find out more about your favorite shows and talk back to our team. Search Voice America Health or click the like button under the player today. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. This is your host, Cheryl Jones. And I'm talking, I've been talking with Charles Fontenot about the death of his son and what it led to in his own life. And I misspoke a little bit before the break. I want to correct that. It's charlesmfontenot.com, his website. So um, there's your correction. Uh, so Chuck, uh, let's, let's go back to... Uh, Let's let's complete the bridge between this terrible loss in your life uh, that, as I understand it, as as we would expect, 
kind of ripped you apart and how you came to um, begin to write things down as a way of, of processing that loss. Can you connect okay. the dots on that for me? Sure. Uh, let me, <laughs> uh, even in school, um, I never wrote anything. Uh, I was terrified that somebody would read something I wrote and laugh at me. So I always was able to get somebody to do my reports. And um, after David died... So you were a uh, cheater, huh? Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Survivor. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, I was in Half Moon Bay, which is uh, 11 miles from where we live, uh, over the mountain. And uh, I had gone there to work, and I grabbed a sandwich because David lived... the cemetery is at, right at the crest of the, the the mountain there, and he's on the back side. So I decided I would have lunch there. This was about probably three months after he died, and uh, I was laying. I'd got my sandwich, got a blanket out of the car, and I laid down. And I this and as I'm driving up, I keep hearing this sound. Tell mom. It's mumble, but it's tell mom. Tell mom. Tell mom. And so I sat down, and, and the voice says, get a piece of paper. So I went and grabbed a piece of paper, and I laid down, and this poem came out, I am free. And it was, but tell mom, it got louder and louder. And I looked mm-hmm. at it, and it scared me, because <laughs> I'd never written anything before. So I came home, I showed it to Lucy, and um, as the time pro- progressed, as I was going along, when I would stop for a few minutes, uh, because see, I became, I ran. I didn't uh, uh, um, embrace my grief. I ran. I became an. I was an. Al- I became an alcoholic, and I was a, became a workaholic. Mm. And I was working seventy six to hundred hours a week. And as it time progressed over a period of about six eight months. It just, I, I became enraged. It was just, it was not a pretty sight. And then one day, my wife and I were having lunch. We'd occasionally have lunch. We'd, go, we'd love to go sit on our tree and have a sandwich. And I was sitting there with her, and I, and I said, I need to tell you something. I don't like you. I don't like me. I don't like my daughter, Carrie. I said, I don't like anything. And she, and, and she says, what are you going to do? I says, well, I'm, right now I'm going to go on a silent retreat in Valambrosa because I need to get set with myself and get some of this stuff straight. And she says, well, how long are you going to be gone? I says, right now it's three days. I, I said, I may never come back. I don't know. And so I had come to the realization, that, and I had watched my son deal with all the things that he had to do up and holding his hand, uh, tell him it was okay for him to go, uh, and the courage that he had, that I had to have that same courage, and I made a commitment to myself. I, whatever would come up, I would face it. So for three days, all I did from daylight 
till like nine, seven or eight o'clock, nine o'clock at night was write and cry. And I wrote and cried, and I just and and I and I would write this stuff down. And today, I see I have never sat down and said I'm going to write something. Poetry writes me when I am willing to be still and to just not have to fix something, especially myself. And so that's where my the the stuff that people tells me. I write as poetry. I did not know that. I would put it on a piece of paper. I would and um, I would come home, put it on the computer, check it off, and and then throw the piece of paper in a box. And they're still there <laughs> from the beginning till today. Mm. So that that's how the pro it, it's all the process works for me. Is that the willingness? to look within myself. One thing that really stood out in, in reading, um, you know, because there's a, there's a biographical aspect to your poetry. Um, one thing that really stood out is that somehow uh, losing your son made you realize that you didn't know yourself. Absolutely. Uh, and, and sometimes we'll say, I don't, I don't know myself anymore. You know, when when you have a big loss, it does change how you look at yourself. But I got the sense that in some way, uh, and and you correct me if this isn't correct, um, in some way your, your son's death propelled you into realizing that you hadn't known yourself before. That is absolutely true. Um, I, I I didn't realize that I was always looking for something more, but I was always uh, I had a habit. One of my bosses, uh, who was a woman, told me one time. She says, "Isn't it interesting, Chuck?" She says, "You're always pointing the finger out something else," uh, and she said, "Look at the where the other three fingers are pointing. You might want to check out, you know, where they're pointing." And that's what propelled me along with the realization that where I was looking and drinking and all, and all this other stuff and in, and the anger that I had at different people, things, and I had to look differently. And, and, and who I am today, I could not be that person without the loss of my son, without the death of my son, because you're exactly right. It made me stop and be willing to look at something different, look at me differently. And uh, I, I wrote a poem called Things, and if things aren't done to me, I come to realize that things are done for me. And sometimes they come with no pain at all or no effort, and then sometimes with much pain. But that's the only way I'll stop. And that's exactly what what you're 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 saying, and it, it's just so absolutely true for in my case. There's a poem I'd love for you to share called "The Bottom Side of Life." I think it <laughs> I think it captures what we're talking about. <clears throat> okay, bottom side of life. Here I sit on the bottom side of my life, wondering where the hell I've been. 
I once thought I knew, but it's obvious I don't have a clue. As I've wandered aimlessly about, just looking for me. You know, there's uh, it, there's sort of a, a paradox in it from my view because had you had you known who you were before, who you were would have changed. I, I changed so much in the process of a of um, responding to such a deep loss, but for you kind of both had to happen at once <laughs> as it were um, and I I know for sure that you wouldn't um, as as I think is true of many people including myself if if somehow someone came along and said okay you, you I'll return your son but you have to lose all that uh, I I imagine you wouldn't hesitate but of course, we don't have that choice, so we may we as well have. grow. But um, it's quite a paradoxical thing, isn't it, to find yourself through through your own pain? I agree, and uh, it's an interesting concept that you propose. Uh, I, I, and I wouldn't want to lose who I am. Who I've you know who I've always been the, the awareness of who I was before, but I had covered it with so much stuff that I couldn't find myself. Yeah, I I agree to that, it, and it's interesting how uh, the death, the loss of someone that you care so deeply about, will give you that opportunity. To do that, and one of the things that Lucy and I promised each other uh, after David died is that we would get better, not bitter. And all we constantly had to remind each other. We took turns reminding each other that it was, you know, we would get better some way, but we had to work on ourselves. We couldn't work on other people, each other. We, and that must have, it must have been a challenge for her when she saw you, you know, running away, avoiding, being gone from her so much, you know, both with work and with drink, um, right. not to, not to react because that leaves her more alone with her grief, doesn't it? I, as you, you know, as looking back at it, you're absolutely right. It was twice as hard for her because she was not only dealing with the loss of our son, she was dealing with me not being there and, 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 be, and you know, in essence, the loss of me. Uh, and we did counseling and that kind of stuff. And, but it, it, was, it was a rocky time. Uh, it, it was not an easy process. It was suffocating at times. I could imagine um, that in the way that you changed your relationship with yourself, ultimately that probably changed uh, your relationship together also, you and your wife. It, it has tremendous dramatically you, uh, you speak of her so very lovingly and sweetly yeah. um, 
you know, I can imagine that that time was kind of trial by fire, but then there is sometimes a phoenix That's moment. That's a nice huh? way to put it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, it was. Uh, in fact, um, today is the 20th. Uh, uh, on the 16th, four days ago, we celebrated our 56th anniversary together. Congratulations. Thank you. I, it's making me reflect because, of course, uh, I was grieving that person, right? My my wife was the one who died. and. Right. It pushed me up against eventually because I am remarried now for a couple of decades, a little bit plus, a couple decades plus. Uh, I had to at some point say, no, I maybe would not. It wouldn't work anymore in my life to trade back, you know, that that crazy thought, right? <laughs> uh, right. And, and so I had to stand up to, in a way, that life goes forward. You can't go back. Uh, in a in a very dramatic way at one point when I started considering yep. actually loving someone else. Not quite the same with our children, I wouldn't think. I, 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 yes. What about your daughter? Uh, I don't know if she's... Carry, um... Is she younger than, than David was or older? She was three years uh, younger. She's three years younger, and they were best friends. And uh, <laughs> if I may say this for your audience, for our, the audience, uh, children grieve differently than adults. And being parents, we were so focused on David uh, and we tried to protect our daughter and and keep her away from the pain, which was the worst thing we could have done. It doesn't and, work, and does I, it? Hindsight. In hindsight. Um, and it's taken her a long time to deal with her grief and, and get through it. And... Uh, Watching her with her 20-year-old son and 15-year-old son, she has two sons, uh, and what a beautiful job she's, her and her husband have done, uh, and 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 in working on herself. Uh, I just, I, hindsight, I wish we would have, could have done it, would have done it differently, but at the time we did the best we could. And you did what was kind of expected at that point. You know, it's very recent that people recognize that that may not be, you know, helpful. But, um, I, I mean, I have so many clients who had a, a, a loss when they were young and basically everyone just stopped talking about the person, you know, out of protectiveness. And that's what actually leaves the, leaves the damage in a way. But... Uh, that was definitely the common wisdom at that point, yes? Yes, it, yes, it was. One thing we didn't do is uh, we didn't stop talking about David. We still talk to David uh, about David uh, through the grandsons, and uh, it, we tell stories, and uh, it's just 
he's he's alive. He, the only time David will be dead or, or gone is when we quit talking about him, and we don't choose to do that at this time in our lives. I did notice uh, in the in the biographical um, materials you sent me, um, you do say we have. I have two children, and um, of course that's a decision that people have to make one way or another, don't they? Um, whether to whether to continue continue to say that and then have to add one living, you know, or whatever we we add. I know that's a big decision to make, but what you're talking about uh, makes it clear why you why you went that direction. Exactly, Cheryl, and um, in 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 the other side of that coin is when you when we make that decision, and you meet somebody new, the first thing they say, do you, how many children do you have, and then it, what you how do you, we choose to answer it? And we've always said we have two children. David, our son, died at twenty one, and our daughter carried you know has two children and wherever they are, and we're very blessed. Our children live seven miles from us. That is, uh, mine live much further from me, so that is a blessing, (laughs) as I well know. Well, let's let's go to our second break, and we'll come back. I'd I'd like to talk some about all the other work you've come to do. Uh, You know, the way that we met is because you work with with someone I know very well at Mission Hospice, but I I want to hear kind of how you came into all of the all of the things you do to um, take your message out into the world. Listeners, you can go to my website weatheringgrief.com. You can go to the Good Grief Host page. Uh, there is a link on the host page to my novel, An Ocean Between Them, as well. To find Charles Fontenot, go to Charles M Fontenot. F-O-N-T-E-N-O-T dot com. Back soon. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Healthcare has been a major part of news stories today with one thing that has been consistent. Inconsistency. Both healthcare providers and patients have to work around and get used to a constantly changing set of rules and issues. Nurses have historically been left out of this decision making. Listen to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse. Exploring the world of nursing with host Leanne Meyer. Health professionals, we invite you to share your ideas and experiences while listening to experts in various areas of nursing. Listen Mondays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health and Wellness. The Voice America Live Events Channel is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480 294 6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. 
Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417. Or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. Voice America is where you are and where you want to be. Join us around the globe as we broadcast live from some of the most interesting events available. Don't forget to view all our live events, including on-demand access to past events that you may have missed by visiting voiceamerica.com forward slash live events. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. I'm here with Charles Fontenot, and we've been talking about uh, both the loss of his son in 1986 and what came out of that for him. And uh, obviously your poetry and the books that you've put out into the world is part of that. But I also know you do a, a quite a bit of volunteer work. And I, uh, I wanted to ask you how that came about for you and what part that plays in. As we were talking, I think during a break, uh, you know, grief is not something that goes away. We both still can have quite big moments with the hard parts and the and the good parts you know both but um at some point a lot of people find a way to give back uh you know once we've we've processed our grief however we do that with you it was poetry so what uh, what pushed you to do this volunteer stuff and how has that intersected with um your process of healing from loss well, it was uh, a pretty natural process. Uh, I had, uh, when David was young, we were involved in youth sports in San Mateo County for 12 years. And then when David got out of school and Carrie got out of school, we uh, just kind of went, got away from that. But when David got sick and he was home, one of our best friends was a masseuse. He's about like six four, six five, huge guy with the biggest hands and the softest hands. And he had started giving massage uh, to people with AIDS. And he came to and he and he lived right down the street from us. And he came over. He says, "Can I offer David a massage?" I says, "Absolutely." And he walked in and he talked to David. And David had known him. And he said, sure, Jerry. And so Jerry started, would come once, try, sometimes three times a week and give David mm. a, a massage. And just watching the difference of someone so gentle treating how he treated my son and then watching the response of David and being able to relax. And it was, it was mystical for me and Lucy. And... Uh, so after David had died, Jerry had joined uh, Mission Hospice along with a couple of other guys that I knew. And so it, it became, okay, Jerry's doing it, I'll do it. So I 
I went and after with the first patient, uh, uh, we were assigned patients, and we go wherever they may be in a facility or at their home. And it happened that the the first three people I was given uh, to go visit with, uh, both all three of them passed before I ever got to visit them. And, and I'm this and does I'm happen sometimes, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. So finally, I ended up uh, with a patient, which actually uh, I was with for over a year, and the patient couldn't talk, and I was doing respite for the daughter uh, two hours uh, at a time, and I learned patience (laughs) (laughs) and being able to be still and hold a safe space for somebody else without having to fix somebody, to do something to make it better. And so the process continued on, and uh, then uh, I was, we probably were into it about three or four years, and Peninsula Hospital here in in San San Mateo came up with, they had a a NOTO program, No One Dies Alone, as you mentioned, which uh, the way it came about was a, a nurse was doing her rounds, and a man asked her, said, would you sit with me for a minute? And she said, absolutely. She said, just give me a few minutes. I'll be right back. And while she went and did what she needed, she came back, and the person had died. Well, it affected her deeply. So over a period of, of six months, she put a program together up in Washington, and she got everybody doctors, nurses, delivery people, uh, when somebody started the dying process and they were not, didn't have family, we sit with them in two-hour shifts until the person passes. Mm-hmm. And I've been doing that now for probably eight, nine years, ten years now, and it's just become a natural along with the hospice that I, I, I deal Um Sitting with someone in the dying process is one of the most sacred things I have ever done. I know I held, Lucy and I were holding David's hand, singing him a song uh, when he took his last breath. And uh, uh, to me, it's, it's, it's a gift. It's a holy gift that to be able allowed to be with someone and they trust you um, in their last breath, with their last breath. Uh, and uh, like Lucy says, I can't do it. And and it's okay. It's not everybody can do what people, what I do. And, it, and, and it's okay. It's, it's not a big thing. It's something that I'm called to do. I know that deeply now. It's uh, it's like I, I cannot not do it. Think of all the people that had someone with them as a result of, of really almost a direct line uh, from your son to, to those people, isn't there? That's a because... beautiful way to look at it, and I agree with that 100%. I, I'm, and, and, I'm just. And I uh, it, thank you. Uh, 
I've been thinking because my guest next week has written a book on legacy about this idea of legacy, the legacy of the people that we've lost and how that operates in our life. And and this is a, a really good example, the work that you do in the world so directly uh, relates to that experience. Well, me too, for that matter, huh? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Any, any gift of hope that you can give anybody is part of that legacy. And you do that so well. And, and I imagine because, uh, you know, I know that when you volunteer for hospice, it's not just actually the person dying that you develop relationships with. It's all the people around them, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. Sometimes uh, uh, we have a hospice house uh, here in San Mateo, and that's where people go to take their last breath. That's what it's for. And uh, sometimes I spend more time with the family before, during, and afterwards than with the actual time with the patient because we have nurses and uh, home health care people and, and that kind of stuff. Yes. And does that ever, um, for you, uh, kind of take the scab off your grief or mostly does it feel... Um, gratifying and satisfying, or maybe some of both. <laughs> you hit it there, both. Both. <laughs> when I started, I, when you were saying, I'm going, no, it's gratifying. Then I go, no, that's not always true. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, because you're you're willingly, and this I guess prefers refers back to what you said about being willing to sit with whatever comes up for you. You're willingly put putting yourself in a situation where uh, you will that will be touched, uh, exactly. and uh, that's of service for sure, as I understand it. But also, it can be painful. It it it, it is. It's it, it you you're when I go into somebody who I've over a period the period of time. When I know I'm leaving to go uh, to visit a hospice patient, before I leave the house is when I start making the contact and I start dropping everything else that's going on around me. Because when I walk into that room with that person, I have no agenda and I'm not bringing anything that's, that's going on in my life. It's mm-hmm. right there. It's that person. And it's it's a clean slate. Mm-hmm. And, and part totally of what you different. bring, um, I'm going to have us end with, because uh, we just have a few minutes here, with a little poem called 33 Years Later. It's part of a trilogy, 12 years later, 29 years later, 33 years later. And just, just um, to the point that grief doesn't go away. Uh, it evolves, but it doesn't go away. Could you share that poem? I would be delighted to, and it, it and it comes from at the end of my the hallway is our bedroom, and at the other end is 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 the end of the hallway, and there's a picture of my son and my daughter there, and so it, it it's called Thirty Three Years Later. Every morning, 
before getting out of bed, I say good morning. Every evening before going to bed, I say good night. Sometimes I can breathe easier because I believe there is an afterlife. But the truth is, David is still dead, and it sucks, and I miss him so much. It's amazing how those statements can both coexist. Uh, You know, every year uh, I just passed um, my, my wife's anniversary time. Uh, October 24th and every year year I say my god this lasts so long <laughs> you know death lasted a very long time and the the um obviously you and I would agree we haven't lost the person but we have lost something very substantial on this earth haven't we it's very much so very much so Hmm. Well, I guess just to I'm here. Yes, I I guess just to um to to honor this, uh, I I want to say that I have had this feeling as we're talking of um uh, maybe through you feeling David a little bit and. I love when that happens, you know, and it often does on this show that I, I kind of get a sense of the person as they were here. So I really appreciate having that experience through you. Thanks so much. Thank you. You're very welcome. And I so appreciate listening to your story. Uh, um, it's very moving and in, in how you... You've gotten past it and through it, and and then continue to reach out and help other people get through their grief. Thanks very much. I really appreciate that, and I I imagine we're we're pretty local. We'll probably run into each other again. Take good good care. Thanks, thanks for being on the show today, Charles. I appreciate you having me, Cheryl. And listeners, of course, you can you can go find more about Chuck at charlesmfontenot.com, F-O-N-T-E-N-O-T.com. Next week, I'll have Lily Myers Kaplan back on the show to talk about her new book, Lost to Legacy, A Stepping Stone Path to Healing and Transformation. She and I talked about her first book, Two Rare Birds, A Legacy of Love, the last time we joined, she joined me yeah, quite a few years ago now. This has been Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. I look forward to being with you again next week for another meaningful conversation. Thank you so much for joining us for Good Grief. Please come back next Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Cheryl Jones, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a meaningful week. Abre mi corazón.